You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bobby Rush is an American and international musical treasure. He is a member of the Blues Hall of Fame, the Mississippi Musicians Hall of Fame, the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame, and is the winner of 12 Blues Music Awards. At the age of 83, he won his first Grammy for Best Traditional Blues Album for Porcupine Meat. He's in his seventh decade of performing, beginning in 1947 in the Deep South local juke joints of the so-called Chitlin Circuit. He played with the likes of Elmore James, Etta James, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Ike Turner, B.B. King, Chuck Berry, Little Walter, and Jimmy Reed. He's performed all over the world and was the first bluesman to perform at the Great Wall of China. He has released 22 studio albums, several hundred recordings, and appeared in over six movies, including Eddie Murphy's Dolomite Is My Name, which featured his song Ain't Studdin' You. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today I am thrilled and honored, truly, truly honored to have the international legendary bluesman Bobby Rush on our show. Welcome, Bobby, to our show. Well, thank you, Burke. I appreciate being with you, man. I'm, I'm just happy to be here with you, man. Oh, God, I haven't saw you in a while, man. You're getting younger, man. <laughs> so are you, Bobby, man. You are the biggest performing octogenarian sex symbol in the world, man. You you put Tom Jones and Mick Jagger to shame. What's it like being up there, being an 80-year-old sex symbol with all those girls? I wasn't trying to be a sex symbol. I'm just trying to survive, man, and make a little money to take home to my family. And all of a sudden, some of the ladies say, hey, he looks pretty good. So I had my chest out then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, let me, let me start off by telling you that thank you for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you say about me, what people perceive me to be. First of all, I come from a little place called Homer, Louisiana. I left in 1947, went to Pine Bluff, Arkansas with my father, who was a minister and a preacher and a pastor of a church. In 1951, when I met Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Harlow Wolf, Ike Turner, Joe Turner, John Lee Hooker, Pat Domino, Chuck Berry. I met all these guys within a year or two apart. 
I wanted to go to Chicago because I thought Chicago, Illinois would give me a better life, better opportunity to do what I need to do as a black man. So I didn't have enough money to buy me a bus ticket to Chicago. What I did, I worked at Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I went to Memphis, Tennessee, where Sonny Boy Williamson was working on Bill Street. Him and uh, a few other guys, I worked on the street for four or five days, making $3 a night, Rufus Thomas and myself, and made enough money to go to St. Louis where Chuck Berry was and Albert King in East St. Louis. I worked in a little club over there for two or three dollars a day until I got enough money to buy myself a ticket to Chicago in 1951. That's how I got to Chicago. I never heard that actual story. What a bunch of legends. And were you playing as part of their bands or just your own act? No, I had, my own, I had my own band. Willie Dixon and myself and Jimmy Reed kind of were putting the band together. And I got Elmo Jane, a part of my band, for, for a hot minute. I called the Bobby Rush and the Four Jabbers. So Elmo Jane said, I'm not, I'm not a jabber. And he called me one of them names, you know. <laughs> But anyway, he come to be my friend. He was my friend then musically. From that, it's history. Jimmy Reed was there, and he had this old Cadillac car, and he was wanted to go to get it some whiskey. He said, Bobby, he talked out his nose. He said, Bobby Rush, I need some whiskey. Go buy me some whiskey. And I said, where are you going? He said, take my Cadillac and go. He said, Mike, I'm going with you. And he was in the car. Jimmy Reed couldn't hold his water. You know, he had to go pee-pee pretty often. And he said, but I want to go with you, but I need to go to the bathroom. I said, I'm going through the alley and turn around. You can go to the, the bathroom in the alley, Jim Marie. He said, oh, that's a good idea. And it took me so long to get across the street because car was coming. By the time I got to the alley, I said, Jim Marie, we're in the alley now. You can go. He said, Bobby Rush, you're too late now. Let me, you know, went on the set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jim Marie was, was an alcoholic, you know. I think that was in 1952 or 53. You know, you've told me how you've made it so far, so long, seven decades of performing by um, living clean. You stayed away from that. I never thought about living clean. I just didn't like the whiskey and didn't like the beer, nothing like that. But I did in 1957. I had my first drink in 1957. I had a beer with muddy water. I had three of them. The first drink I had was 1957, three beers. And that was the last one I had in 1957. I never had a drink, a smoke, or get high, no cigarette, no nothing in my life. Not because I was trying to be good. I just didn't like it. That wasn't, wasn't my taste, you know? I guess it comes from my granddad. My granddad lived 108, and I, I remember my granddad was 93 years old. He was My daddy was having revival in his church. So my granddad was outside the church selling moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> He's not afraid to sell it. He just didn't use the stuff he was selling. <laughs> he, he was that way using it too. You know, he was like both. Oh, he, he was using it too? He would sell a lot and drink a little, you know. But but anyway, he was out. My daddy came out. It was like Easter Sunday weekend. So someone else was running the Bible for my dad in the church. So my daddy was, if my daddy church, my daddy wasn't preaching. He had another guest preacher preaching for my dad. So my daddy came out to church and and then uh, we was kids that kept looking at my granddaddy going outside the church, looking under the church and taking his bottle out of the church. And glue, 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 glue. Then he'd go back inside the church with my dad and cry and clap his hands, you know, he'd be high. Then my daddy come out and said, he called my daddy. My daddy's name is Charlie. 
My daddy also called him Papa Charlie. We call him Papa Charlie, my granddaddy. It's, she, he said, Papa Charlie, you out here keeping up all this noise. You should set an example for all the other guys out here. You're the oldest man on, on the church ground. You should be setting an example. He said, what boy? He talking to his, his son, that my dad. He said, what you talking about, boy? He said, uh, we trying to talk about Jesus and his resurrection. He said, well, resurrection? He said, who died? He said, we talking about <laughs> Now he dropped that, you know. You know. He said, "Who died?" He said, "Is we talking about Jesus?" He said, "Oh God, I knew the boy was sick." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my granddad. <laughs> you guys must have had a laugh. But he died at hundred. He died at one hundred eleven years old. My grandmother died at one hundred ten. So, and he had thirty six children. Two grandmothers, eighteen kids apiece. I hope we get another thirty years of you performing, then you'll be the. The biggest sex symbol who's over a hundred, oh, no, you know, is, performing on the circuit. Boy, that'd be incredible to see you do that. Let me jump for a minute and tell you how happy I am. I didn't know who I was doing the interview with. I couldn't put the name together. But when I saw your face, I thought, oh no, this 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 is the best one. I oh god, this makes me feel so good, man. No, you know, having that relationship with someone who you vibe with, you know, and I appreciate you. Well, thank you. I think our listeners appreciate that. I'm grateful that, you know, we have this friendship that that's really quickly formed. And it is great to see you. I read in the trade press that maybe you had COVID and you survived it. I was the first one who had it in Mississippi. February the 29th, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I felt bad during this show. I just left Chicago a few days before that time, came to Nashville to do a big show, a theater. And I didn't feel good and didn't take think too much about it. I thought maybe it was just coming down with a cold. But three days later, I came home. My son taking me to the emergency room, and they quickly gathered. Maybe I had COVID. Maybe they didn't. They had no no way to know exactly what it was. But I heard him say, "Put him in room number three. I didn't know at the time. Room number three was a room to like they give you up. I didn't know that after the fact. They say, "Oh, he say is a black man. He over eighty years old. Just put him in room three. And they put me in a room. So I gathered. And went up in a big chair, and I sit back in the big chair, no bed, no anything. I just stayed there, and I finally was so sick, I laid on the floor. And uh, the lady brought me a little blanket, and I covered myself on the floor, no bed. So they said, well, the hell with me, I suppose, and just left me there. And about three, four hours later, my fever broke. But when I first went in the room, I had 105. Ooh. Yeah, 105. It finally got down to 103. I could see it coming down. They said, well, a couple of hours later, I was down to 101. So my doctor didn't know I was there because I checked in on an Emmett Ellis, was my real name. So once they found out my professional name, then my doctor called and the people started to call. Is that Bobby Rush? You know, because when you check in at Emmett Ellis, that didn't ring a bell to them. But anyway, he said, we got to get you out of this hospital, man. You feel like going home? I said, whatever you want me to do. He said, get you out of the hospital because everything's happened in the hospital. I didn't know that. So he took me home and my family nursed me back to health and God had, had embraced me. And they didn't do anything for me, but give me some Anderson, uh, Tylenols and, but God uh, embraced me, brought me back. And I stayed sick for about four or five weeks, man. Everything but the ventilator. When they went back to test me again, I couldn't tell why I had it, got rid of it. I never had it. I was just so sick. I don't know what it was. 
So apparently when you look back at it now, I definitely had it. Well, we're really glad that you made it through that. We're really, really grateful. But I'm, but I'm through it and I feel real good. I, I looked out last night about 12 o'clock at night. I, it was kind of cloudy. I couldn't see the moon because I want to find a moon because I want to jump over it. That's how good I feel. I want to jump over the moon. <laughs> You ever write a song about jumping over the moon? I think I will, man. You know, but I looked at the, the realness of it. it. Was in the book about the cow jumped over the moon, but I don't think the cow really jumped over the moon. It was in his mind. I got a lot of things in my mind to do at eighty something years old, but I can't do them. But I still think about it. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. your heart, but don't you lose your head. You come along, girl, what did I do? I lost my heart and my head went to Lord have mercy. Little girl, little girl, you show sure can cook. Little girl, little girl, you got me When you cook that chicken, save me the head I should be working, but I'm home in bed Thinking about you Dreaming about you Love that girl Love them chicken heads too Without your love So, Bobby, you make your way at 2 and $3 a day to Chicago, and you get kind of your first chart-topping song, Chicken Heads, right? Is, or, or were there songs that led up to this? That wasn't the first record. That was the first charting record. Yeah, charting record. According to Wikipedia, there's 22 studio-released albums, but total albums that you've cut is larger than that, right? How many total albums have you released? You know? Have you lost count? I'd, I'd have to, have to count them, but I know the record. I got 397 records. 397 records, recordings out there. Yeah, no, it's... A lot of them was 45 and 78 and 33 and the third back in the day, you know. I had a hard time counting them up on the BMI ASCAP sites because some are under Emmett Ellis and some are under Bobby Rush. But it was 397 to be exact. Let's talk about chicken heads. <laughs> you know why I laugh? I laugh because Calvin Carter was a guy who had VJ records. Kevin Carter and Vivian Carter, two brothers and sisters at VJ Record. It wasn't VJ when they first started. It was CJ. It was Calvin and Vivian. In 1954, she got married to a guy. Vivian got married to her, which is Calvin's sister. Got married to Jimmy, who's at Jimmy Record Shop in Gary and Anna. When they got married, then it was VJ Record, Vivian and Jimmy. 
I came to Calvin Carter during that time, and you had Jimmy Reed was hot. The Beatles had been over trying to get on the label. And I was just too small, I guess, for him to think about doing something for Bobby Rush. So in 1965, he said, Bobby Rush, I'm going to give you a shot. It took him a couple of years. In 1968, he said, Bobby Rush, get your son together. I'm going to record you. So I said, all right. all right, that's cool. So he had a business partner with him named Leo Ostell. He was a Jehovah's Witness preacher. He said, Bobby Rush, Calvin told me you're going to record a record with us. I said, yeah. He said, what record you have? I said, I got a record called Chickhead. He said, Chickhead? We can't cut no record named Chickhead. We can't straddle a fence like that, man. We're a clean record company. You know, Chickhead. I said, I mean Chickenhead. He said, oh, Chickenhead. He said, yeah, you from the South, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, y'all used to eat chicken heads down there, you black guys. I said, sure did. He said, Calvin, come here. We got a guy here, got a record called Chicken Head. He said, Chicken Head. He laughed. He said, How did the song go, Bobby Rush? I took my little guitar. I said, Daddy told me on the dying bed, give up your heart, but don't lose your head. You came along, girl. What did I do? I lost my heart and my head, too, which had nothing to do with the chicken. <laughs> had nothing to do with the chicken. And Kevin said, Man, that's great, man. Nothing to do with the chicken. He said, But we got to have a B side. At that time, you cut A's and B's. He said, we got to have a B-side. I said, I got the song. He said, what's the name of it? I said, Mary Jane. He said, oh, yeah, man, that's a good one because I had a girl did me wrong. Her name was Mary Jane. And I wasn't talking about a girl at all. I was talking about Reapers. <laughs> I, was talking about <laughs> I was talking about getting high with Reapers. You know, smoking Reapers. That, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they didn't know what I, now chicken here, I got over their head. Now Mary Jane is over their head. Now they don't know what I'm talking about. So wow. I said to myself, I got me two cats here. They don't know what I'm doing. I can do what the hell I want to do, you know? So I went in and to cut it. Let me tell you a little something about when I recorded this record. I had Jones on drum. I had a uh, bass player playing with Cleve Eden was his name. Play with play with the Fast Domino band for a while. And uh, he would count basses then. I needed somebody who played a little jazz so it wouldn't sound too bluesy. Cause I wanted to sound do 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 do, and the blues guy wasn't playing like that then. So I got this guy from Count Basie's uh, orchestra, which was a jazz player named Cleve Eden. I said, Cleve, I got you. I want you to play a song for me. I took the guitar by his house and showed him do 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 do. We create the bass line, the guitar line. We go to the studio with three other musicians. I had about two hours to record this record. Calvin Cart had used my time up to 45 minutes, and I only got to have a 45 minutes to cut this song. We would mess around rehearsing on the song, now I don't have a 30 minutes to cut the song. Later on, I had 20 minutes to cut the song. So Ralph Bath was working for Chess. He was the engineer for this recording company. I said, uh, let me try it one time. I kept showing the guitar player how to do the record. He kept missing it. I said, man, let me do it. He said, Bobby Ray, why don't you show him how to do it? Tyrone Davis was in the studio with me. He said, show him how to do it, man. And I said, okay, let me show you guys how to do this one time. I took my guitar, bass man, drunk. I said, come on, fella. Do, 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 do. I said, hold up a minute. Put a microphone in the front of me. Let me sing this song. He put the microphone in front of me. Let me sing it to you. I'm going to play it down one time. And I went to sing this song. And I sung it all the way through. I said, that's where we got to cut the record. Ralph Bass said, hey, man, good cut. 
I didn't know he had the tape on. <laughs> record was recorded one time, and that was it. By you, with you on the guitar. Yeah, with me on the guitar. <laughs> nice. But I had a guitar player sitting at the plate. I was going to show him the structure of it. Ralph Bab was smart enough to have the tape on, and he's a good cut man. I'm singing on the microphone in the front of the album. And never recorded, <laughs> never overdubbed or anything on the record. I didn't know it was in recording. Was that your first recording session? No, no, that wasn't my no, first no. recording. That you, was my you had first, many recordings. That, that was my first one recorded, what I call the big label. I was on BJ Records, man. And I want to make sure this was right because I want to get the guys right. You know? Yeah. I love that. I love So what is a chicken head? <laughs> <laughs> you would ask me that, man. Well, you would put me on the front line. Chicken head is, is, a, is a freaky lady, man. Come on. A freaky lady. Yeah, freaky lady, freaky lady, freaky yeah. lady. Okay, <laughs> freaky, freaky lady, something like old freaky man, like Bobby Ray. You know, your shows for the listeners who haven't seen your shows are rebald or risque or would you say they're PG thirteen or R rated? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah, but maybe it's just life. They're not risque. It's part of life because you and I, all men, like the same kind of thing. If you see a hundred ladies. And I said, hey, man, 85 of them ladies really look sexy. You can bet you whether you're black, white, green, or whatever. Most men going to like the same kind of lady. A nice looking lady, built nice, big leg, pretty face. You know, I'm not saying every lady like that, but to each his own. But most of the time, men pretty much like the same thing. And ladies, too. She may be with someone, may not look as, as good as the other guy, the handsome the other guy. But at least he got potential or some money, you know. <laughs> they got something that's later more, you know. And I write songs and I tell the truth about, well, let me retract that. I tell the truth about most of the things that I write about. Because I wrote this song about I wouldn't sleep with a fat woman no more. I lied about that. <laughs> I lied about that. I lied. But I laugh about that and that's life. You know, that's life. You know, your songs, you write a lot about sex. Yeah, well, that's what life, life is about. Because you and I, why we want to make money? Why we want to have a nice house? It's about sex, man. It's about who we bring in the house, man. Oh, hell, if it wasn't for the ladies, man, I could live in my car. I wouldn't need no house. <laughs> well, I needed a bed. I could sleep on the couch and get up and go, hey, man, it's about impressing the ladies, man. It's about the downtime, not the uptown. I find it's really interesting that, that, you know, you grew up as a pastor's son and then you, you make your way to Chicago and you start writing all these songs about human relationships, especially with a, a focus on sex. And, you know, I just watched the Ma Rainey Netflix documentary, and this goes back to the 1920s in this Chitlin circuit that, that maybe there's nothing new about this. People, no, people were talking. No, I've been talking. You know, I, when you see the girls on the side of me now, it come all the way back from Africa, man. That's what we done. That's what we did. That's to come on. You shake your butt and, and get on the stage. And, and when you, you had your dress all the way up and whatever, you know, I remember 19, I believe it was 1954, Muddy Waters was having his 29th year birthday party. And he wanted me to come to his birthday party. But Muddy Waters now 29 years old, you know, wasn't 30 years old. And I went to the birthday party and I forgot his birthday party. So I had gotten married when I was like 17 and a half years old, early to my first wife. And she said, I thought she's going to Mother Water birthday party. I said, oh, God, it's 1030. 
I run down to Sivio, it was a lake in Homer in Chicago. And Muddy Waters was hanging out the window upstairs over the club. He said, Bobby Ray, called me blood. He said, blood, you late. I told everybody you're going to be here, now you late. But I got a lot of ladies upstairs. Come around to the back and knock on the door. I'll let you upstairs where, where the ladies is. I went upstairs and Muddy Water had about 12 or 15 ladies upstairs. No men, all ladies. You know, Muddy Water. And they all had the short dresses on, man. I could see everything but Chicago up under the dresser. And, and man, I, he, he introduced me as his little brother. They was kissing all over me, man. I loved that. I loved the brother thing. And then I asked one lady, how old are you? She said, I'm 26. The other lady said, I'm 34. And one lady, I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 39. Man, I sneaked out the back door and left them because 39 years old, all them old ladies. <laughs> oh, man. I think about that now. I left Muddy Water. Man, I should have been with, with a stick. Leaving muddy water with the ladies because they're too old, they're 30 something years old. <laughs> At my age now, I wish you could have a party like that now, but they're 30 years old. You know, <laughs> man, I'm showing, I'm just showing you how how dumb I was. I thought the ladies too old, you know, and they had to dress all up, you know. Well, so you wrote, you wrote these sort of risque songs that were rooted in this tradition of say double entendres around sexual innuendo in many cases like chicken heads. Right. And you start performing in the playboy club, like the original one in Chicago, Hugh Hefner's in Chicago. I was the second black artist that went it way. You know, Dick Gray was the first one. Yeah. Dick Gray was the first one. And I was the second one. Then Red Fox. Red Fox was working for me as a, as a MC for about three years. So tell me about that and tell me about some of the songs you played there. First of all, let me tell you how, how I got to these songs. You know who gave me the idea of writing like that, right? My daddy. He never told me to sing the blues, but he never told me not to sing the blues. My first cousin gave me a guitar when I was about eight years old. I hid it from my dad. I thought, you know, your dad knew everything. I hid it in the loft. So my daddy told me one day, he's a junior. I'm named after my father. I said, yes, sir. He said, bring me that guitar here, boy. I brought the guitar to him. He said, let me play it. He tuned it up. I didn't know my daddy could play it at all. I just know he blow a little harp. He tuned my guitar up. I couldn't even tune it. He said, let me play a little song I used to play for a little girl when I was a little older than you. Well, I want to hear it because I thought it was going to be like, glory, glory, hallelujah, when I laid my burden down, either about my mom. So I got close to him. I said, he said, I'm finna sing this song to you, boy. He started to sing. He said, me and my gal went to chanky pin hunting. She fell down and I saw something. I said, damn, a preacher. I said, sing it again. Now, I really want my daddy to sing the second verse. I know the first verse, the woman fell down. He saw something. So I figured the next verse, he would explain what he saw. So I, I want him to get to the second verse. He said, me and my gal went to chanky pin hunting. She fell down and I saw something. My mother's in the kitchen cooking. She said, me don't sing that kind of song to that boy. He went to sing it again. I said, Daddy, how big was she? You saw a big old woman, 350-pound boy. I said, what's your head on? He said, nothing but a dress. Then in my little mind, fat lady falling down, nothing on but a dress. Otherwise, no pen, nothing on, nothing on under that. And I said, wow, I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, 350 pounds, that's a lot to see, man. I said, sing it again, Dad. He went to sing it again. My mother was walking out. He said, me and my dad went to Chanky Pen, honey. She fell down. He looked back and said, and I kept running. 
then I start to write in no kind of song like double attorney. I mean, you know what I mean? Got two minutes to him. So I don't know what it would have been. So I write like that all the time, you know? But you said, how old were you when you wrote your first song? Oh God, I must have been writing for eight or nine years old. Eight or nine years old, you wrote your first song? Yeah. My first song was Give Me Some of Yours, I Give You Some of Mine. <laughs> and it was about... That's a good trade-off. <laughs> it was about the human relationship yeah, yeah. and, and <laughs> sex at eight or nine years old. It, 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 <laughs> give me some of yours, I give you some of mine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One of your songs was I Want to Do the Do. And, you know, one of my favorite lines in this song is turn this mother out. <laughs> I kind of put that in because that's kind of like when I did this song, I was in the hit of my time. But guys saying that now and you know phrases of the mother thing, you know. And uh, I was in the hit of my time. Like, like, let's have a party. Don't worry about the police or nothing coming around. Let's turn this mother out. That was kind of phrase. Do to do. Let's do to do. Whatever that is to you. Whatever the do to do is to you, let's do it. If you want to drink, let's drink. If you want to smoke, let's smoke. If you want to dance, let's dance. Whatever that is to you, let's do it. And, and don't worry about the police coming around and just telling the door places to close because we're going to turn this mother out. You know, Snoop Doggy Dog said that without Bobby Rush, there would be no Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> He, he about right. I said about the about the fifty cent. If it wouldn't be the fifty cent, be a dime a quarter, something like that. Because I I started it all. <laughs> it wasn't for me. It wouldn't be no fifty cent. Be a dime a quarter, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like a dollar and a half, I guess. Right? <laughs> you know, for, for us. I like that, but I like that. Yeah, I like. If, if those guys are fifty cents, you know. So you got to. You got to perform with Snoop Dogg in, in Eddie Murphy's movie, Dolomite. Yeah, um, but, but now before that time, I got to do some thing with him with the Take Me to the River. Didn't perform with him on the road, but I got to do a lot of things in the studio beside him and with him at the time. He's just a great guy. Know me very, very well. Uh, I know his mom. I know his auntie before she passed. Just, just a long history of me with his family before I knew him, even before he was born.
Every time I leave home, come back, been gone three or four days, a week or what have you. My so-called friends always come up to me, tell me, Bobby Rush, I saw your lady done whatever and with whoever while you was gone. I just said, hold it. Because if they were really my friends, they wouldn't be talking about what they saw her do. They would tell her, don't do old Bobby Rush like that. I heard a lady tell another lady the nice child, my husband, you give me but a hundred and fifty dollars this week. The other lady said, huh, if that was my husband, give me but a hundred and fifty dollars, I'd have thrown it back in his lap and got a divorce. And the woman was saying it don't have no main money, I no husband. She just wants you to leave so she can move in and get what you got. So you tell your friend what I told my so-called friend. That's what I told her. The movie Dolomite by Eddie Murphy, uh, which you're in, <laughs> that soundtrack has your song Ain't Studdin' You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this song about? The song's about your, your peers, your friend guys, like the dudes who you hang out with, try to tell you something about your woman. And most of the time when a guy tells you something about your woman, he's the one trying to hit on your woman. So you want to say, oh, yeah, he's the one trying to hit on your woman. So if, you know, you know, I ain't studying you, man. What you trying to tell me you saw my woman done, you you wouldn't be telling me nothing if she had been doing it with you. So I ain't studying you. You know, you gotta come to hey, hey Bob Rose, I saw you, I saw your lady last night with such and such a guy. Hey, hold up. If she had been with you, would you have told me? So I ain't studying your butt. <laughs> I'm not thinking about you. You know, I'm not hearing that, you know. Cause my my idea from talking to a person like that. You can't miss what you can't measure no way. I really like the style of this song, the way you have kind of a talky intro and then go into this song. And I do that. I do that because I kind of set the song up because I talk so spacey in a lot of the song. People don't know what I'm talking about. So I kind of set it up so you can get the meaning of where I'm going with the song. Because if I don't set the song up, sometimes people are, are missing. You know, and when I talk about a song like I'm going night fishing, that's when the catfish lure the bank. Well, I live in Mississippi and I'm not talking about catfish. Really, I'm talking about a fish I'm going out and play at night with the ladies. You know, that's a catfish. They seem to bite better at night. <laughs> you know, that's what I write about. You know, that's what I write about. It's going night fishing. They're going night fishing. That's when the catfish lure the bank, you know. You know. Yeah, not so much in the morning, huh? Well, you know, but but when when daylight come, you seem to be if you're tipping around, daylight come, you you just like a, a deer. You have to try to go and hide away until uh, it get dark enough where can nobody see you again. You know, you know, because most of the time you're tipping around with the catfish. Most of the time the catfish married, and they're not married to the one who who fishing. <laughs> Boy, that's life for you, huh? That's life. That's life. You know. Now, I don't know about those kind of things, what I'm talking about. I just had, I just read about them. Yeah, yeah. And you write about them. You use your imagination, right? You exaggerate it on stage. I mean, it, it's very much an exaggerated performance. And there's humor in it. I mean, you know, I, I did, too, you know, when I won the Grammy with the porcupine meat, <clears throat> when, I, when I told our, my producer about the porcupine meat, I would hesitate to tell him about the song because. I had had her experience when I did Calvin Carter with, with Chicken Head. He didn't know where I was coming from. So I didn't know what they were going to like, Porcupine Meat or not. So I said, I got a song named Porcupine Meat. 
And they laughed. They said, what's the song's about, Esther? And I had to tell them what it's about. The song's about, I'm in love with someone that really don't love me. I, I love them more than they love me. I want to leave, but I can't leave because I'm afraid someone will get what I have. Because what I have, I like what she do to me and what she's doing to me. But I know she don't mean me no good because the way she approached the things around me. So I want to leave, but I can't leave. Every time I leave, I come back for more. Now, that's porcupine meat. It's too fat to eat and too lean to throw away. Although I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. That's what I was talking about with porcupine meat. I wasn't talking about an animal at all. About being in love and, and not being loved back. That's what I'm talking about. That's porcupine meat. Inside, you knew this. You know, that's why I, I knew she don't really love. I knew I think she got somebody else. I, I can just feel it. I wanted to trail her last night in the car, but I was afraid I might see what I was looking for. And that's porcupine meat. Too fat to eat and too lean to throw away. I've never eaten porcupine meat in real life. <laughs> do, do, people, do people do that? You got to try it. You will like it. <laughs> you really? I mean, like, how do you, oh, no, how, do you catch, how do you catch one of those things with all the prickers? You don't catch it because, man, it'll stick your hand, man. You right, don't. Right. They're all pretty and look good. The meat look good. They're a pretty thing. But you dare not to touch it, man. Come on. You, can, you can't touch it. You have to shoot it or trap it, right? To you got to trap it. it. You can catch the trap. It. You got to be, you got to make sure it's dead when you put your hand on it because if it ever moves, it'll stick you, you know? You know, I write those kind of things, talk about those kind of things, and, and most people want to say it and want to do it, but they're afraid to say it, afraid to do it. So they listen to my song and play my song so they spout a girlfriend or boyfriend can grab what they're talking about, you know? Everybody wants to say it, but they take my song and play it to them so they get the drip. So I sit my mother down, I said, Mama, I said, everybody, everybody call me a fool. But everybody's somebody's fool. Some said you love me, some said you don't. It don't make no difference when you're getting what you want. See, I'm a puppet, and I hang by a love string. All you got to do is kiss me one time, y'all, and I dang a lane. Touch you me up. Oh, love that woman, you me touch you me up. You me touch you me up. Oh, love that woman, you me touch you me up. Let me tell you something else about Sue. See, my mama told me one day she said, Bobby Rush. She said, why are you so in love with Sue? A and can you tell me what Sue do to you? Now, now y'all know it's hard to tell your mother what Sue do to you. <laughs> you, you know what I mean, don't you? I, I, but I sit my mother down. I said, Mama, I, I said, you don't really want to know what Sue did. She said, yes. I said, Mama, the first time I went by Sue's house, here's what she did. I can't tell you. So one of your songs seems somewhat autobiographical. It's called Sue. Correct me if I'm wrong if it's not autobiographical, but you're in love with a 15-year-old girl. 
and in this song. I really like this song, by the way. And and you talk about what your dad and your mom said to you. Yeah. Then that was a true song. This girl was 15 years old. Her name was Imogene Rainey. I just changed the name to Sue because I didn't want to put say Imogene Rainey. Her dad was a preacher and my dad was a preacher. So my dad told me one day, he said, Junior, say, I know you like Reverend Rainey's daughter. His name was Imogene. He said, but you shouldn't mess with her. I said, why, Dad? He said, because that girl will do anything. Man, what he said that for? He said, she'll do anything? Oh, man. I Man, I broke back up to the house. <laughs> I don't think about a girl do anything, man. <laughs> that was like what? That was not warning you off. That was no, like man. my dad told me to do anything. anything. Oh, I gotta go I see her. She's gonna I do couldn't, anything. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get back up to the house, man. <laughs> so apparently, she was this girl fifteen, but you know, the girl fifteen, she like twenty years old in her head compared to a man. You know, she was fifteen, and I'm fifteen. She was way over my head in what she was doing, what she wanted to do, and how she could do it. She probably was dating guys 20, 25 years old. And that's what my daddy probably knew that. He didn't want me to get trapped up in that. But I want to get trapped up in that doing anything. <laughs> oh, man. So that's that's kind of where that comes from, you know. So in the song, you said, you know, that was your dad's advice. And then you talked to your mom. Did you talk yeah, to your I mom about My her? mama told me to leave that girl alone because she don't mean you no good. But mama didn't know what she was putting down. They didn't know what she was doing to me because she was doing what my daddy said, some anything, <laughs> some everything. Man, and you know, as a country boy, you know, hey man, I hadn't had them kind of things done, man. This, this girl was way ahead of her time, you know. She was really tickling me. Oh, man. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I do, I do, I think, a little bit. The line I like in this song a lot is that she pulled off my shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I led them up to that. Here's what everybody said. I know what she did. I know she did. Let me tell you what she did. And I tease her with it. I, I can't tell you. Let me tell you what she did. Come on with it, Barbarista. She pulled my shoes off. <laughs> I, you know, I had never heard that expression. And I really just love the lyric because I never thought about it. But if a woman pulls your shoes off. Yeah, she got to be down. You know, got to. Where is this going? Where is this going? Right? Here's your line. How she get down and pull your shoes off? She's in the front of this guy. She put and she pulled my shoes off. Guess what she is? Magic <laughs> got it. Now yeah, use your imagination and yeah, listen use your to the song. <laughs> she, it, it just just tie. If she just tie my shoes, she's in a nice position. All depend on what you're looking for. You got the message. <laughs>
Bobby, one of your songs, Funk O to Funk. Funk O to Funk. I talked about myself born to make love, and I want you to know I'm a November child. I'm a Scorpio. Bobby Rich is my name. Funky music is my game. Making love to my woman is my favorite thing. But whatever I do, I got to be funky. Now, whatever I do, I got to be sexy. That's just funky. I mean, you funky, man. You you get out. You ain't too shame to get out. Whatever that is, you follow me? And I would wonder that some, I wanted myself, well, I'm not the first, but Jane Brown and myself, a few other people like that, were one of the first rappers, man. I was one of the first rappers, the first rappers, even down to a song like that. You can tell the rappers kind of thing in it. And even when I did Dog Named Bo, Get Out of Here, I, I, the song was really Dog Named Bo, but I changed it Dog Named Bo and put Get Out of Here because I didn't want the animal lovers getting mad at me about I'm talking about a dog and I'm a dog lover. My son is in K9. He's a policeman. He got ears of K9. He can keep the dogs around. I didn't want people to get mismeaning about what I was talking about, dog named Bo. Show you how rapid I am. And I'm an old man. God has blessed me to be around doing what I'm doing a long time. And I remember pretty well. It said, in a little shack down by the bay, not far from New Orleans, I met this pretty woman down there when I was about 19. She went and told her daddy she wanted to marry me. And look on her daddy's face really was a sight to see. He said, get out of here with you and don't you come back no more. Well, I wanted to meet her daddy like a young man order, but he didn't want no blues singer like Bobby Rich to be married to his daughter. So when I went by the house that day, he met me at the door. Dad, mom, big brother John, the damn dog named Bo. Well, I wanted to get married to the woman. We sneaked down to get married. The judge said, do this out on the swam. To take this woman for your lawful wife and not a one-night love affair. Before I could open my mouth to say I do, guess who walked to the door? Dad, Mom, Big Brother John, that damn dog named Bo. But I thought if I wanted to get married to the woman anyway, I could find a way to elope. We decided to go to Las Vegas to get away from the nose of folk. Soon as I got to Las Vegas, the same day we walked in, that was all her kin, all her friend, and that damn dog again. <laughs> so I was, I'm, I'm one of the first rappers. That's why Snoop Dogg and them like what I do, man. You know? I do them in a blues way, but they really rap this rap kind of thing. But modification, though, I said, tell you this. When I said modification, see, when I was a kid at my age and time where I come from, we didn't have no inside toilets. We had the outside toilet to go outside to go to a toilet. They smelled bad. Now in my house, I got seven bathrooms, man, in my house. They all smell good. But everything we do to them is the same. They haven't changed at all. Whatever you did then, you do it now. That haven't changed. Just a bathroom change. <laughs> you went from one outhouse to seven in-houses. That's, uh, that's it. One outhouse <laughs> to seven in-houses. You know, because I had to go outside to the bathroom. Then then sometimes with 10 sisters and brothers, sometimes you had to wait till your turn out there. Well, I'm seven full and two halves, so it's really nine bathrooms, you know. In my house, I got, I got nine bathrooms. You got enough bathrooms now? Yeah, I may be a one more, you know, one more. <laughs> you need a 10th bathroom? <laughs> yeah, I get a 10th bathroom, you know. <laughs> yeah. This band, Smiley, recorded Funkody Funk. Have you heard that song? Have you heard their version? I heard their version. They did a good job. I, I like anybody who do something to me and, and give me credit for what I've done. And it's a, it's a plus. And I'm just 
glad someone like what I do and respect what I do enough to do it, man. And they did a good job at it, you know, especially when you do a good job at it, you know. You write a lot of songs with your own name, which is actually kind of a rap tradition to brag about yourself in songs. You know, Hey, Hey, Bobby Rush and Me, Myself and I with Joe Bonamassura on that. Tell me about some of these songs. I didn't, like, start, I didn't start to write it like that till I found out that record, that political side of record plays and radio station wasn't giving black men just shots because when when they put in the thing you have to play 10 records in a row to come on that well this WLAC we're gonna play 10 records in a row and no one no advertising nothing that wasn't really put in to help the artists because a lot of times you play 10 artists you wouldn't know who song the artist whose song was it that played I started putting my name in a lot of my records. So if, you, if I were one of those records got played in that 10 records in a row, you would know who played the record. You would hear my voice and I would call my name inside the record. That's where it started from. And then other guys started putting their name in the record because I, I was the leader of this stuff, man. I did it because politically, that was a thing with a white and black issue with radio play, with program directors. There was a lot of black program directors but they couldn't program what they wanted to. They had the people who owned the station, a white manager who managed the station, were telling the black programmer what to play and not to play. So 10 records in a row, if you didn't know the song, you wouldn't know whose song it was, who was singing the song. So when you play a Bob Ray song, I start to call it my name in the record. So so you know who's my record. That's the reason why I did that. Now that little name now, I don't put it in my name as much as I did then because now people know me a little bit. And plus, I got my style. When I open my mouth, you can tell it's Bobby Rush. I don't sound like Muddy Waters, Hollow Wolf, BBK, none of the guys. No disrespect to none of the guys. I love all of them. But I got my own style. You sound like Bobby Rush. You sound like Bobby Rush. That's right. And no one else sounds like Bobby Rush. No one. No one sounds like Bobby Rush. That's right. Hey, hey, Bobby Rush. <laughs> yeah. Came home the other day, found a note on my door. It read, Bobby Rush, I'm gonna tell you something, I don't wanna be your woman no more. Hope you're not mad, but I hope you understand. This is a business decision, and I got busy with another man. Sleeping alone by myself, and the one you love it. With someone else. Only consolation I get when I break down and cry. And nobody here, nobody here but me and my seven eyes. Oh no, me and my seven eyes. Woke up this morning about to break a day. Looked at my pillow where my baby to lay. I went to the window and I peeped through the blind. Thought about my baby, I couldn't keep him crying. Now I'm living alone by myself. And the 
wanna break down and cry. And so tell me about me, myself, and I. I was talking about something I'm doing on myself. Now, early in my career, I never had a manager until about five years ago. Five years ago. Uh, I have a a good manager now, my friend. He's my manager, Jeff Dunier. Jeff is a friend. Jeff Dunier is one of the best guys that I ever met. And I trust him. He's only about 31, two years old. If I met him five, six years ago, you know, how I wasn't with a baby, you know. But I was managing myself. I was booking myself, driving for myself, writing for myself, and producing myself. So everything you saw was about me. So I wrote this song about me, myself, and I. But now I grew that. So I got to get other people to do some things for me, which is nothing wrong with that either. Because I can't be at three places at one time, or four places, or five places at one time. So I, I was this guy doing it all for myself because I was going to do this until I find someone to do it for me. So me, myself, and I, I'm all of it. So you got Joe Bonamassura on the guitar on that one? Yes, yes. Are people reaching out to you saying, I want to play on your songs? I mean, you have played with this incredible roster of an encyclopedia of amazing people when you go back to Jimmy Reed and little Walter and Elmore James and Chuck Berry. And I guess J.B. Illinois and Muddy Waters really, I think about them all the time. Hi, 1951 or 52, they invited me to Southern part of Illinois, which is Blue Island to play in a club that we played behind a curtain but they want to hear our music, but didn't want to see our face. Day in, night out, because it was a white audience. And I remember going to Argo, Illinois, where the children said, where they were paying me $5.50 a night to be a band leader. They finally gave me $7.50 a night. And I hired Muddy Water as a guest for $5 a night in 1952. $15 he would charge me Friday, Saturday, Sunday to come out and be a guest for me. He was working on the place. He would come out and be my guest. Five dollars. I remember playing the M.O. James for the first time in the 1950s in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. M.O. James wanted $15 for the weekend. I couldn't pay him but 12. He said that was a lady in Bell Zone in Mississippi. And he lived in Canton, Mississippi. I said, M.O. Jane, I need you to play for me in Jack Rabbits in Arkansas. He said, I'll do it for you. Give me $15. $5 a night, and I go there and be your guest and play a couple of songs with you. I said, I can't, I don't have it, man. But I can pay you $3 a night, which is $9, guarantee you, but I can give you $12, $12. And by that time, my friend was getting married to a lady in Belzoni. His name was Robert Zine, Lee Robert Zine. And he walked by the lady. He said, wow, Bobby Rich, who is that lady there? That's my friend. Was get, they was getting married. I said, that's my my buddy's old lady, they get married. He said, man, I'd do anything if I can just, you know, use the word, if I can just talk to her. He used and get a shot of that. That's what he said. I said, you do anything? He said, yeah, man, anything. And I walked away and I walked back. I said, what you say? You do anything? 
I said, if I fix it up, will you pray for me and Pamela? He said, man, I'll pray free for that. I went and talked to my friend. Now, this is wrong on my part. I went and talked to my friend. He had a funeral home. I said, what you doing this weekend? I got a funeral this weekend. When he would take me to my gigs the night he didn't have no funeral in his hearse, but I wouldn't let him take me to the front of the club. I would let him stop me about a block and a half or two blocks from the club because I didn't want nobody to see me getting out of his hearse. You know, <laughs> <laughs> showing up to a show in a hearse. Yeah, is yeah, bad, a hearse. Bad it, was luck. New, <laughs> it was New Cadillac, you know, New Cadillac, the hearse. Every other week, so he stayed with Lee Robertson would go with me to Pine Bluff. At the meantime, Elmo Jane would stay at his house. Now, I shouldn't tell this. Stay at his house. And next weekend, he have a funeral. Elmo Jane would go with and play with me for free because I was swapping a deal out with him. Oh, that's wrong. Well, let's go to something. That's wrong. But hey, I ha- that's where I got Real Mojane to play for me with my partners. Oh, man, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong on my part. But I had to do what I had to do, man. I needed Real Mojane to play in my band. So back to me, myself, and I. How did you get Joe to play guitar on your song? Oh, God. Joe is a fan. God is a fan. I didn't know him on a personal basis. But but Jeff DeLeo did. And some of the guys in the studio, uh, studio knew him. They said, well, this would be a song that Joe would like to play. I didn't know what Joe was going to like to play or not. When they ran it by Joe, I was told that when he said for Barbara, he said, for Barbara Rush, I'll do anything. And that's how kind of fan he was of mine. You follow me? I said, find out what kind of money he wants to do this because I was paying for this stuff. What kind of money he want? Joe said, for Barbara Rush, money is now, for Bobby Rush, that's how it came back. So we kept mm-hmm. saying that it wouldn't take no money from you. Just a friendship, babe, and a good fan and like what I do. And that's how he got to play on it. Because he wanted to, and I wanted him to. I did several things like we doing, and I several Zoom with him since that time and got on this thing and did some fundraiser for the honor private musician. I did some thing with him a couple of weeks ago, you know. Oh, cool. Uh, and we take taking up a lot of money for musicians who can't help themselves, you know, and I'm a part of that. He's a, he's a prison cat and a dog, man. And, and we come to be good friends, man, and musically friends, you know. Wait, wait. 
murder down in New You haven't written or maybe recorded and put out there a ton of politically charged songs, but one of them is really moving and it's called Another Murder in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about this song and where it comes from and and your co-write. That song was a came up because Carl Gustafson, who I was recorded for and with. He was in New Orleans. So many things was going on around the country that time and still going on now. And so many things was happening uh, politically among the Black Lives Matter kind of a thing. I opened then, but there was a lot of things happening in the in the hood, we call it. And when someone got killed in a big city like Chicago, New Orleans, New York, it was just another, another life law. You know, this, when you talk about a small town like a Tuckle, Arkansas, I'm just using an example. When a person gets killed in this town, it's all over the news because it's a small town. It don't happen often. But when it happened in New York or New Orleans, that's another murder. That's another. You look at the paper, another murder. It's just a thing to do. One day you, you have a murder, you say, well, whoo, nobody get killed today. I mean, because it's a, it's a normal thing to big towns and big cities, you know, especially among the, the ghetto-ish kind of a kind of thing. Well, just another murder, New Orleans. That's kind of what we he was coming from with it. So I can relate to it. And being from Louisiana, too, I can really, really relate to it. You know, it's a, it's a home state and not my home city, but it's a home state. And I want to talk about those kind of things happening in my home state. And so this was a co-write. Yeah, with Carl Gustafson. Yeah. Otherwise known as? Well, Carl Gustafson is his name, and he have a relationship with the record company. He was a part of the record company, so he wanted me to do this. It started off just me doing a couple songs on the CD, but it wound up being me being the like the biggest part of the CD, you know? But it wasn't aimed for that. I mean, I was going to be a guest on a couple songs. But why not meet me being a guest with me on the CD? So, so it just grew into a friendship. It grew into a project, you know? Well, so in your lifetime, you've seen quite an evolution, which, you know, is not complete in the treatment of African-American musical performers from 1947 when you started to today. I saw enough of the treatment of where I come from to let you know now today, it have came a long way, but not far enough. And everything have changed, really remained the same. That's the sad part about it. And I try to dwell and keep uplifted by the good things, because the good thing do overshadow the bad thing. But there's so many rough and bad points in my life that I went through as a black man, as a blues man, you know, I've been buried in the ground in 1963 where I had an accident where 10 trucks hit the back of my station wagon and threw me in the ditch. But each truck hit each truck to tear up his truck and every 10 men in the truck got burned up. And I would throw in a ditch 
and I had to dig myself in the ground, myself and a guy called Robert Pluckin, and to save our life. And when the sheriff's department, or the people who was coming there to the rescue us, they walked by and someone said, do you see anybody living? One guy said, no, just two inward. They already buried. Leave them so-and-so in the ground. And they left us there, man. I can't talk. They left us there. I had so many things. I, I, I can't handle it. I had so many things. I can't handle it. How did you get out of there? Someone coming and got me eight hours later and take us to the hospital. Myself and Ike Turner had played a gig. He was in the front of me. Myself and Robert Parker were the only two living other than, and he died later. I'm the only survivor out of all of that. But, you know, I don't want to stretch on those kind of things because there's so many good things that people do and say about me. But I've been through so much in my life. I was the first man who worked on, first black man who worked on Braver Street in Chicago. I worked in a place that said, no color allowed. I was the only black man in the club. There was a guy called Cunch who hired me. And I did my audition with four white guys. He said, this is going to be good because we can integrate this place. Well, a country boy like me, I didn't know what integrate was. I never heard integrate in 1951 and 52. I wondered what integrate was. So I called my wife, who's an educator. I said, listen, I got to find what integrate was. She said, and then she went on to tell me, and I went to the dictionary and found out what integrate was. I thought in my heart that I was a young black man, pretty good looking. I thought integrate was putting me in a, a room with a bunch of ladies and, and make good slave. They would breed me and make good slave. And I thought in my heart, oh, well, this ain't too bad. I can make a good integrator. You know, I didn't, go, I didn't know where integrator was. But when I got the job, I took four black guys with me after I did the audition with the white guy. Nine o'clock, I was supposed to go in. And at 10 minutes to nine, I'm sitting in the car. So the black guy said, let's go in, Bobby Rich. We're going to work in this new place, man. They ran to go because they were working in a place like this. When I walked in the door, Couch, the guy who hired me, said, hey, man, what a bad. That's right here. He said, oh, no, you can't bring no black guys in here. You're gonna, man, you're going to get us killed. So he said, well, come on in and play the first set. You play the first set, but go get the white guy you did the audition. So I came in. So this white girl... It was a go-go place. Four white, four white girls were dancing. They danced 15 minutes apiece. We played in a in a den and a cook down in a shelter. You could see top of her head only. Because wasn't no white, wasn't no white was in the club but white people. So the lady come to me, she said, Barbara Rush, I heard what they said about you. We're gonna integrate this place tonight. She said, I'm gonna get you on the stage. I said, How you gonna get me on the stage? She said, we got 15 minutes apiece. I'm going to do seven or eight minutes and call you on the stage. And how are you going to do that? She said, because I'm going to get sick. I said, how are you going to sit? She's a fool. I'm going to get you on the stage. And I followed her lead. She worked about eight, seven, eight minutes. Then she cramped like she was cramping in the stomach. She walked on the stage. 
I jumped up on stage with my guitar like I'm Chuck Berry. And the crowd went wild. So there was a big fat man in the audience. He laughed. He said, <laughs> I said, wow, I got one fan. So when I went back in the room, someone called on loud and said, Barbara Rush, Barbara Rush, come to my office. But I've never been in this office before. So when I walked to the office, it's a guy was sitting there in the office, looked like the same guy that was laughing at me, or laughing with me. He turned around, he said, hey, hey, boy, you integrate my place. I said, what you mean integrate your place? He pushed the button and the wall fell back. So that's it. Now his office in the club, now the wall's there. So he's watching me all the time. He said, hey, kid, he called Cunch, the guy who hired me. He said, come here, Cunch. This is my boy. He worked for me, okay? You, I pay him. You don't pay him. He worked for me. He said, hey, boy. I said, yes, sir. You want to make a lot of money, boy? I said, all depends on what I got to do. Say, don't you ever tell me what you want to do. You do what the hell I tell you to do. He said, hey. <laughs> you okay, boy. You got nerve to integrate my place. Anybody that got kind of nerve can make a lot of money. I didn't even take a card in my pocket. And I goes home. I trying to buy me a house. I wasn't 21 years old trying to buy a house. I needed $1,200. I had about $800. So my wife told me, said, well, what about the guy you work for? He told you he'll help you out if you need some help. He said, oh, I said, oh, yeah. He left a card in my pocket. What shirt did I have on that night? She said, my plaid shirt. I washed that shirt last week. I went and got the shirt and the card was still in the pocket. So we took it out. It was all wrinkled. Ironed it out. It says Caesar Capone. So I goes down to my lawyer. I said, I think I can get this money and then get this house. My lawyer tape is a black lawyer. I said, I think I can get this house now, man. This guy going to help me. He said, get out of here with that card, man. I'm not messing with no Capone. I didn't know who he was. So now I go back. He said, boy, give me what you need, boy. I said, I'm trying to buy this house. So give me that paper, boy. So I was trying to raise this $400. So about a week later, my wife said, you got all the money? I said, I got all about $100. She said, you didn't ask the man. I said, I asked him about it, but he didn't come back to me. So I finally got the money a couple of weeks later, went down to buy this house. I walked in the door. She said, he said, my name, real name is Ellis. She said, Ellis, we've been waiting on you, man. I said, I, didn't, I was trying to get that money. He said, what money? You don't need what money? Said, it's been signed and paid for. I said, what? She said, we've been waiting on you. The man had went down. And got the house. So I went back to thank him for what he'd done. I said, uh, I want to thank you for doing what you've done. I said, I got the money. He said, uh -huh. no, no money, boy. But what I want is a two flat. I want my girlfriend up in your club. You take my girlfriend. He said, now, nah, let me let you meet her. He called her in. It was my auntie, black lady. I didn't even know. We talking about Al Capone's brother. So I was protected. So when I went to record for chess, I can't talk about this too. When I went to record for chess, they would say, hey, come to a Capone boy. Let him have what he want. 
I didn't know that to my advantage. If you know, it's three years ago now, I had the box set of the year. Google it. You know how they come in. How can you have a box set if you don't, you don't own the masters? So I was the only man walking in and out of chess and taking the masters with me. You had a business sense back then, huh? Plus, I had, plus they thought I knew Al Capone. I didn't know nothing about it, but I used it to my advantage. Because they thought I was, Wow, Bobby Rush. That's all I can say. Unbelievable. What is in the book that's coming out? Oh, we got a book coming out. Yeah, I got a book coming out because I ain't studying you. Coming out June the 22nd. You're going to have a lot of reach out. I can't tell you what we're doing now, but you're going to have a lot of a lot of people like, hopefully, like, open all the you're gonna hear a lot of things about this book i can't wait to read it it will be available if it's on amazon i'll i'll put a link up on my website so you can buy it you can pre-order it now but there's gonna be a lot of publicity on this book big writers you know big writers same people who do very winning five and all the guys and elton john same same people big writers but i think this book gonna open a lot of doors i'm, gonna, I'm telling on myself I'm telling all other people, and I'm I'm cautious about putting myself on the line with what I've done and what I've said and who I said about. I'm trying to let people read between the line, but God, I haven't been this this rosy kind of a guy in my life. I had to do a lot of things to survive the rat race. I was able to stay kind of clean with the whiskey and all the drugs and the whole bit, but I got so many other things wrong with me. You know, I'm still looking at the big ladies and I've been in a position at a lot of places in time where it was bad. But when I thought about what it could have been, I was so thankful for what it is. And my motto is now to do all I can while I can. I know that will come a time I can't do but I won't regret what I did not do. Well, Bobby, we are so thankful that you are with us, that you are still performing. We can't wait to see you back on the road. We're grateful you survived COVID and I can't wait to see you again. You know, Well, man, I, I'm so blessed. How blessed I am to have people like you want to interview me. I'm talking about good people who wants to talk about what I've done in a way that is not scornful to me. Because I ain't did everything just right, man. I didn't know to do everything just right. You know, I'm like Paul. I don't want to push this on my public who listen. I am a blues singer, but I'm a biblical study. And I think it comes from my father being a pastor and a preacher. I'm not a religion nut, just a biblical study. And I think that my life is like writing a book. You can only write about what you know about. And I'm steady learning. And I'm steady appreciating where God has put me in my life, my physical body and my mind and my thoughts. And I'm hoping that I could display a few things that I haven't done to the people I should have did it to before I leave this land. Well, that's a powerful message. You know, none of us are perfect. And this show has really made me think a lot about my own imperfections. I think... You as a bluesman, R&B, funk musician have explored the human imperfections, but also the joy 
of life. And, you know, there's sadness and happiness in life. And, you know, you, you can't have one without the other sometimes. I'm glad you said I was, I was writing just, just a couple of days ago. The same thing made you laugh. The same thing made you cry. You know, let me say to you personally, can I say something to you personally? Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and what you plan to do. Because what you say about me, what people perceive me to be. Thank you for your heart and for your soul and your thoughts about the music and people who do it. And I'm one of them. So thank you so much. Absolutely. You're welcome, Bobby Rush. Well, my show wouldn't work without people like you who open up their heart and soul to our listeners. And, you know, it is a personal thing. What's the backstory of the songs? And we're grateful to you. So thank you for coming on our show, Bobby. Thank you. And I, and I apologize because I get kind of web-eyed when I talk about that just one thing happened. So many things happened to me. But I have to think about all the good things and all the people who reached out to me. You know, I'm so thankful to have Jeff DeLeo as my manager now, who's my friend first and then he managed and he do a good job. He don't know everything. I don't know everything. But on this trip together, the thing that we don't know, we learn. When we learn better, we do better. And we're learning so many things. And I think so many opportunities is my favorite now, in my favorite. Because this record that I have out now, called Raw Than Raw, that was something I had cut in the can. And I got many things like that. I can put out many records. Don't have to go back to the studio. Just recording them. You know? Ah, uh, golly. I'll give you a little sneak preview. I was in the studio two days ago and I recorded about eight songs. I'm going to record probably three more tomorrow. This on a new direction. It ain't a new direction for me because it's kind of a new direction for what the public expect from Bobby Rush. And I'm talking about things. I woke up this morning looking for some action. I walked down to the bus stop trying to find me some satisfaction. Called up my doctor sick as I could be. I said, doctor, will you please tell me what's wrong with me? He said, Bobby Rush, ain't nothing wrong with you that little loving won't do a cure. You go home and get in bed, let your woman rub you from the feet to your head. Take a little loving, mix it with some hugging. Take a little teasing, mix it with some squeezing. And I swear, you'll be all right in the morning. That's good medicine for all of us, I think, you know, in this day and age. I think that's a real good prescription from Dr. Bobby Rush there. That's right. That's right. Now you're going to become a physician to us all, a musical physician, healing our pain, Bobby Rush. I got to thank you, Bobby. Is there anyone else you want to thank on the show? Oh, yeah. I just, you know, I just thank everybody for being who they are to me. All of my band members, God, long, and all the dancers with me. For the last past year, four or five months, nobody worked. And I wanted to get the bike to work so I can pass something down to the people who can't do for themselves now. And I'm not thinking about Bobby Rush. I'm thinking about the people who are around who makes Bobby Rush who he is. You know, I'm thinking about my producer. I'm thinking about the agent. I'm thinking about all these people that that's, that's oh, God. Curlin Agerson really done a great job for me. Just been with him for couple of years and half of that time we haven't been able to go out so i'm just hoping this thing will get over and we'll be out i'm still wearing my mask although i had my second shot two weeks ago i feel pretty good i walked out last night 
about midnight looking for the moon because I felt like jumping over it, but I didn't see the moon. It's cloudy, you know. That's the only reason I didn't jump. But I said all that in a joke. But I, I'm so thankful that I've been able to. How can I say this in the beat? I'm a blessed man. I've been able to cross over to a white audience and never cross out. I don't know many people who did this, black men, who crossed over. And I can call you names because I remember when I worked the last show, B.B. King worked in Indianola, Mississippi. He said, Bobby Rush, I need you. I said, what you need, B.B.? I'm working my last show in June the 12th. One year before he paid, he said, but I can't get black people to come see me. And I want black people to come see me. If I got you on my ticket, I can get black people to come see me. Pass the torch. Because I'm a man who's a black man. who You can go any black neighborhood and they know who I am. And I can name you guys that you know that black people don't know. And they black people. Black people don't know who they are. You have your feet in both worlds. I'm the king of the children's circuit. And never crossed people's out. You appeal to everybody. Everybody loves you. You appeal to everybody. All over the world, Bobby. I mean, you played at the Great Wall of China. First bluesman to play there. You played all over Europe. You, have you played in every continent but Antarctica? Any many places I haven't played. I think China was the challenge of me of all places. Nobody knew me there. But a guy called me up. Frank Beatty called me and said, listen, I want you to do Shiny with me, represent the U.S. blues man. I said, I'll do it. So I gave him a figure. He said, well, they ain't got that kind of money. I said, I'll tell you what, here's what I do. You pay the band. I play it free if they give me all the footage to me and I own it. Because, oh, yeah, I'm good. You could have the footage. Now I play for you free, but I want all the footage. Now when I get back with the I had all this with, I took a cameraman with me, took all the footage and everything I've done. When I got back home, I bought off for so much money for that footage. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get you on the show. We're starting a TV show. I got to thank you, Bobby Rush. Thank you again for having me on. And I can call you now my soul friend now. So I, I, That is quite an honor. Means a lot to me. I gotta say, I'm really blown away by this uh, this uh, hour I've had to spend with you. It's just been amazing, and I thank you. Thanks to all my listeners. Thanks to our patrons, especially for keeping us alive. We look forward to seeing Bobby on tour soon. Now that he's got his second vaccination shot, and the band will get vaccinated, and we'll we'll see him out there because you never stop working. And we're blessed to have you on earth doing what you do. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Love you to death. And to all your fans and friends out there, stay safe. Wash your hands. Keep wearing your mask regardless of the shot you get. Because, hey, the life you save could be mine. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.